Okay, the peace descends on the room. Wonderfully. We love our children to bits. And we love it when they're in another room as well. Um, that's okay, I've got two out there as well. I'm allowed to say that. That's good. Um, we're going to uh, just spend a short time um, in prayer now. Um, and we're going to use um, uh, um, a way of praying that we use here sometimes just to, just to help that you can, you can use during the week as well to help you um, as you pray. Sometimes people say, I don't really know where to start. I don't know how to pray, what to do. One simple way that we use here is using a mnemonic of P-R-A-Y um, um, uh, of four different things, to praise God, to repent, to ask, and things for yourself as well. So we're just going to do that um, as in a time of, of quiet now, and I'll give you the opportunity to just pray quietly in your own hearts as well. And the first one we use is, is to praise, and really just as we, as we start in our prayers to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done for us, the good things that he's provided in our world and in our lives, maybe personally, but also through the person of Jesus and his great love for us. So let's just spend a moment as we reflect on God and who he is and his greatness. Father God, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you for the way that you care for us and your great love for us and for your many gifts that we often take for granted. We thank you for the good things that you put into our lives and for the people that you surround us with. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And the second part of pray, the R. Um, the word to repent, which is just a, a word that actually means um, kind of turning around really. It's acknowledging that when we come before God, we're not the people that we were made to be, that we fall short in so many ways, sometimes deliberately, sometimes just through, as we, as we say in our, in our confession, through our, our negligence, um, through not meaning to in the way that we speak or we act or we think. And the fantastic thing is that God says, when you come before me and acknowledge who you are before me, you acknowledge that you're less than the perfect standard that God sets. It's fine. He forgives us and he brings us back into a right relationship with him. So let's just spend a moment in uh, personal reflection and then we're going to use um, our prayer of confession together. Let's use these words of confession as we come before God this morning. And we say together, 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you promise for all those who come before you and truly repent that you forgive us. You wipe the slate clean that we might come into a right relationship with you. We thank you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And the third part of our pray, the A, um, is to ask. And this is talking about looking wider than ourselves. It's talking about looking out into the world that we're in, those around us, our neighborhoods, maybe our country, maybe the wider world, remembering that we're not here on our own. And so let's just spend some time uh, reflecting on the needs of our locality, the needs of our country, the needs of this world. Father God, we come before you with the needs of others, of the needs of our own nation as well, especially at this time. We pray for those in leadership in our country, that they would make wise decisions about the future of this country. Lord, that they would have your desires at the heart of everything that they do and for situations in the world that we've thought of in our own hearts this morning we pray your blessing and your intervention in Jesus name Amen and finally the last part the why where we simply it's about ourselves about yourself where we bring to God those needs that are, that are really on our heart for ourselves and those that we love dearly. Let's just bring those before God now. God, we bring before you the needs 
and the situations of every person gathered in this room. You know what we need before we even ask it. Lord, we just pray your blessing now. Lord, we pray that you would intervene with your peace, your wisdom, with your encouragement and your strength into our lives at this time. We thank you that you are a God who walks alongside us and often carries us through our dark times. And we thank you and we pray for all these things this morning in the strong and in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Right, Adele is going to um, come now and she's going to bring us our Bible reading this morning. You'll find Bibles hopefully at the end of your pews. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians. Um, Adele will give you the page number as well. Uh, it's good to follow along as we read. So it's Philippians 1, verse 14 to 30, which is uh, page 1,179. Two, yeah, two, yeah, not one, two. So Philippians 2. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may come blameless and poor, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epidaphius, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you, have, when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adele. Thank you. I actually don't need this. I'm going to put this over here. I assume it's off. No. Ah, hang on. First technical thing. 
sort that out. <laughs> Thank you. Just shift things around a little bit here. Okay. Cue music. I've always wanted to do this. Here we go. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. That was my sort of shining moment. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is a genuine Olympic torch. And if you want to find out how Steve here came to have this, you can talk to him about that afterwards. But we were talking, Richard was talking about team earlier. And uh, if, if my faith is the fire, imaginary flame on this torch, I'm holding it high. I'm part of the church team. I'm, I'm shining it out. Or I could sort of think, well, actually, do you know what? It's a bit heavy. I don't know if I can carry this. Um, and, uh, you know, people might ask me questions about why I'm carrying it, and it could get a bit awkward, and maybe it'd be better if someone else carried it. So I'm going to stick that there for the moment. I can get that on. So, oh, I don't know how this works. Oh. <laughs> okay, Steve, I might need some help here as well. So never do technical things on your first uh, preach. Um, <laughs> So I will let you, you fix that for me. I'm going to spend ages here. So that's the last technical thing, by the way. Um, so one of the questions churches often ask, or church asks itself, would anyone notice if it wasn't here? And of course, with the, um, the letter to the Philippians, it's, uh, if you go back about 10 to 12 years before the Philippians was written, there was no church. So what was uh, life like? Well, it was like any empire of the time. You know, it was the Assyrian Empire before, Babylonians. It was typical empire stuff. You had uh, your conquerors, the Romans, the conquerors. They went out and conquered. They, they took the resources from the lands and the people that they conquered, and they often used people as resources. The people were brought back, and they'd be slaves. It was um, an economy founded on the work of slaves. And... Um, you had this, uh, this sense that there was a tiny elite, powerful elite, and the rest of the people sort of didn't really matter that much. There were you know, slaves, servants, laborers. And, um, and of course, everyone had to buy into the cult of the emperor, which I remember Richard was talking about last week. Your, your emperor was the all-powerful, the military might. That, that was kind of the focus of the empire. And... Um, if you, if you didn't buy into that, then, then you would be really standing out. And it's into this that Paul arrives with his message. And it's a message of a completely different kingship. It's a servant king. And um, this servant king is the sort of king who knelt down and washed people's feet. He got down like the slaves and washed feet. What sort, of a, what sort of a king is this? So, so this was a completely different message. This was turning the whole of empire civilization upside down, this message. And the people saw Paul, and they heard this message about Jesus, and, and they wanted to know more. 
And so Paul helped this small group of people in Philippi. I think um, by the time he writes this letter, there's about 75 to 100 people, I think. And this Paul, this amazingly humble teacher leader who was originally known for persecuting Christians until his life-changing encounter with Jesus. He, he helped them and developed them. And about 10 years later, after he first went to Philippi, of course, we find out Paul is imprisoned in Rome, we think, under house arrest. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. There's a possibility he could end up dead and executed. He's awaiting trial. And so this small church, this little group of people, just a bit like us here, they get together, they gather money, some gifts and so forth, and they send this along with Epaphroditus, who steps out in his own leadership and goes across to Rome, and he goes to support Paul in his work. And of course, being in prison those days was pretty nasty. You were totally reliant on these sorts of gifts. So this little group of people had got together to support him. Now, this, the subheading of this, this sermon series is Letters of Joy from Prison. But in this passage that we heard Adele read, there's actually quite a few few areas that don't feel particularly joyful. Paul is not sure, uh, sorry, he doesn't shy away from sharing how he really feels. Look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. In verse 27, about Epaphroditus's illness. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And verse 28, therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Yeah, he doesn't shy away from talking about feeling of sorrow. He feels that pain there, the anxiety, the worry. He's honest about the realities of life, those times when it feels like the waves are crashing down on us, when we're lost at sea, where we don't know where we're going. But, like Richard mentioned last week, Paul knows that his joy, there's a firm foundation for his joy underneath those trials. He knows what Jesus has done for him. And he knows as well in the future, when all things are put right, that God will draw a line under everything. But for the moment, he's like a proud parent. Paul also experiences joy through hearing about this group of Philippians living with Jesus in their hearts. He talks about their sacrifice, verse 17, is to live a right life in response to Jesus, which is often at odds with the world around them. And they were standing out. If they weren't buying into this cult of emperor, they were standing out as, as different, with this different worldview. And even if Paul's life is poured out like an accompaniment to that sacrifice, he rejoices in the light of Jesus living on in their hearts. So, back to verses 14 to 15. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. This isn't saying, like I said, it's not saying don't moan when life gets tough. We, we all know that life can be tough. But he was just saying, be honest about that. He was talking about this grumbling and moaning is that niggly little grumbling and moaning when we look down at our feet, when we don't look up and see see God's love in the world. When we're just looking down our finger, oh, there's a story about, uh, a great story told by Rabbi about 
two guys that are following Moses through the Red Sea. And um, they're looking down at their feet and they're going, oh, crikey, look, my sandals are getting ruined. It's, look at this mud down here. It's, uh, oh, I'm going to have to get a new pair of sandals. Crikey, yeah, couldn't we have come a different route? And of course, what they don't do, they're not looking up and seeing that somehow, miraculously, the Red Sea's just been parted for them. And then God is leading them. He's using Moses to lead them through to safety. You know, there's always times when we can uh, be looking down and grumbling and bickering and just feeling annoyance because we're not looking up. And then Paul continues into verses 15, 16. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold fast to the word of life. This message has its foundations in the ancient Old Testament. It's not the latest whim of an emperor. It's not the latest ideology or fad. Paul has based these lines on the letter, two verses of the Old Testament, Song of Moses from Deuteronomy, which describes how the Israelites were starting to look away from God, even though he remained steadfast. The other Old Testament reference, Daniel 12, 3, tells us that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Shining like stars is quite a theme in this letter, in this section of the letter. And of course, if you're under a London sky, you don't really see the stars shining that much because of light pollution. But uh, if you were out, if you get out into the countryside, or certainly if you were back there in uh, ancient Rome, you wouldn't have had that light pollution. The stars would have been amazing. You know that night sky, if you go up a mountain, you see this beautiful array of stars. And there's lots of them. It's not just one. There's lots of them. And the stars weren't just pretty, of course. They were a tool of navigation. They could uh, lead you safely to where you needed to go. Shining like stars in the universe, holding on to the word of life. Holding on to the word of life. And uh, one theologian links these two together. So you have the shining and the, the word of life of being a structure, the harbor. So um, some of the very first lighthouses, I think there was one at Piraeus, which is the port for Athens. And on top of that night, it was simply a flame burning on top of this structure. And it must have been such a joyful sight if you'd come across quite a rocky crossing in the Mediterranean and you saw this flame shining bright towards the harbour. What a great feeling to know you were almost safely in that harbour because, you know, it could be pretty treacherous crossing seas back in those uh, old wooden boats. So how can we be that sort of flame? How can we be that flame shining out like our torch here? Can we do that in our, our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our friendships, on social media? Can we be a flame that provides a safe and joyful welcome? Such a positive image, isn't it? I remember um, when I, one of my earliest jobs, um, way back in my early 20s, a long time ago, and uh, it was actually on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean, so I like to think I've got that link to Paul there. That's about as far as it goes, anyway. And um, when I was on the ship, you know, you're living and working in a small environment. And yes, it was lots of fun, and we, we did have a great time. But there were obviously difficulties. You can imagine if you're constantly with your work fellows. And there was one lady who was a kind of go-to lady. And she became a sort of informal ship's chaplain. 
and she had time for everyone. She was totally trustworthy. You know, she didn't gossip. She didn't judge. She was just this lovely person. And um, I remember having many conversations with her. And uh, she was just, uh, just someone who stands out. And as I journeyed through life, I kind of just remember her shining out. And, uh, and at the time, I used to take the mickey out of her because I was an atheist and I was 22 and I knew better. But, um, but yeah, she was, she was one of those who kind of planted a little flame in my heart, I think. And then, um, and zoom forward many years when I wandered into All Souls Church. And it was a, apart from the great welcome and the teaching here, I remember shortly after I started coming, there was an exhibition about forgiveness. And there was one particular family, um, I think all the families that were mentioned had um, something absolutely awful had happened to them. And in one instance, there was a family whose child had been murdered. And they talked about their forgiveness for the perpetrator of that crime. And this, this shone out, this forgiveness shone out in a world that was often cynical and often quite dark. So, um, it's back to our torch here. Back in um, 2012, when London hosted the Olympics, I made the effort, got my children up to, uh, just over to Richmond, to watch the torch relay. And, um, and we, we sat, we had to wait quite a while, because you had to get there early to get a good spot to see the torch. And we had our flags, we were waving our flags. And as the, the cavalcade started to come through, I think my kids were probably more interested in the motorbike cavalcade than they were actually in the torch coming through. But um, I knew that this torch had been on an amazing journey. And, in, and even just in the UK, it traveled about 8,000 miles. And everyone who was carrying a torch, including our Steve here, had contributed to their communities. And it was a real celebration. And I knew at the end of it, it would have this place of glory shining above the Olympic Stadium. And uh, I like to think, oh yes, the, the torch, the other interesting thing is the torch is obviously lit from the same source at the beginning of the Olympics, Olympic year. And uh, it's lit from the sun's rays using a parabolic mirror. And, uh, and they don't just take one flame, they take backup flames, but they're all from the same source. And I like to think of Paul being this torch bearer, taking his torch across Europe, and of course, the source of that torch, the source of the flame, is Christ in his heart. So we are called to shine like stars. And, and if my own personal flame goes out, there's other flames around, all the other stars shining to help me when my flame feels like it's not burning so bright. So... And, and as I said, the, the, the source of the flame Paul was carrying is not in his hands, but in his heart. It's Christ, and it's the word of life. But of course, this word isn't just for Sundays. It's not just for the hour and a half or so that we're here. It's for the whole of our lives. It's a model for the whole life that encourages us to be a flame, holding out a safe harbor and joyful welcome in a world that often feels quite stormy. So Paul goes on to talk about a couple of torchbearers. He picks them out. And it's these lives, it's uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, his co-workers. Their lives are being modeled on Christ. 
He doesn't say, oh, they're really religious. They really pray a lot, although I'm sure prayer was quite key foundation. He doesn't say they're really pious. What does he say? Instead, he writes about Timothy, verses 20 to 21. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy's credentials aren't just looking down at his feet, but grabbing hold of that torch that Paul has passed him. He does this by being genuinely concerned about the people around him. Through Jesus, he provides a glimpse, a foretaste of God's kingdom when all things will be put right. So we're not being called to do anything too complicated here. Simply partake in a life that's sourced by Jesus and that has the welfare of others at its heart. And he says similarly of Epaphroditus, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor him and men like him. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus have something of God's character which is modeled in Christ. That same selfless love, selfless service, the foot-washing king. So Epaphroditus doesn't quite maybe get to complete his work, but Paul still celebrates him, and he wants, he wants the Philippians to welcome Epaphroditus back and realize how much he has done to encourage Paul. So... How are we in suburban West London encouraged to respond? Well, as I said, we're being asked not to look down at our own feet, not just to complain about the small things of life that surround us, but instead we're being asked to take this torch, the one that has Jesus as its source, the one that sends out rays of love and humility, integrity, compassion, forgiveness. And whether it might feel in, in you like a kindling flame that's a little bit fragile in the wind, or a full-blown fire, we are asked to carry it in our hearts as we file out of here on a Sunday morning and see where it might lead us during the week. So what if you think you're not really torch-bearing material? You, know, you look around and, and wonder if there might be someone better suited to the task. You know, um, that person over there, they've got much stronger faith than me. Or that person, they've got a bit more time to do that sort of thing. Well, Paul's early church in Philippi were a motley crew. They, uh, they were made up of slaves, of laborers, a couple of merchants, um, for all walks of life. And as we find out later on in this letter, they certainly weren't perfect. They didn't get it all right. But they knew what they'd seen of Paul and what they'd seen and heard of Christ was life-changing. So they were willing to give that shining out a bit of a go. Paul found his joy both in the source of that light and in the sparks that these people were holding on to in the town of Philippi. The sparks that would turn help light a flame that continues to spread across the world today. So let's carry that torch. I'm going to try and take this off again. Let's carry that torch and be part of the celebration of Christ, with Christ at its center.